We are going to do one more week of the foundation study. Uh, we're ready to do the kingdom, cover the kingdom today, the kingdom of God. And uh, we're going to stick here for one more week. I'm going to let you know, I did put at the bottom of your handout, which is on the back side of your bulletin, if you're not aware of that. I did put there what the next one is going to be, but we actually won't get there for two more weeks, uh, for a couple of weeks. I mean, we're going to put it off for several weeks. I thought it appropriate next week, of course, is the week of the Sunday right before Christmas, and I think it's nice uh, to preach a Christmas message. Uh, I think that's appreciated. Also, just a real practical purposes, just so you know like how things work in my head, real practical purposes, if you look at the subject for next, the next message in Foundations, it's Satan, and I thought it would not be very appropriate to talk about Satan the week of Christmas. It just didn't feel right. So we're going to push that off. And if you know me, you know that I always like to uh, uh, bring some kind of uh, here's where I think the Lord wants to take us next year. This past year, the theme, does anybody know what the theme was? Did we, did we talk about it enough that you know what it is? What was the theme of this past year? Available. Being available, which to me, I love the fact that the Lord brought again to the end here, this, this teaching of the gospel and showing the God. It's like, it's, it's sort of the culmination of that. Like, if I'm really available, like, will I, am I available to God that I, every door he opens, I'm going to insert something of the gospel into this conversation. Um, so this year's theme was being available, and I'm not going to tell you what next year's theme is, because that's what uh, two weeks from now is for. The last Sunday of the year, I'm going to take that Sunday morning and just uh, share with you a little bit of my heart and what, where I think the Lord wants to take me, and as you know, that always seems to mean that's what the Lord, where I think the Lord wants to take you as well this next year. You just get to go along for the ride, and I'll talk to you, with you about it, and we'll, we'll touch base on that through the year uh, and see how we're doing on those things. And then the first Sunday in January, we're going to come back to Foundations. We've got about three weeks left, I think, or so after, after today, and then we're going to go right into, uh, from there, we're going to go right into, I'm not sure if I'm going to change the title yet or not, but go into taking the next step. So all this still is, even though we've kind of been building on it now, all this still is the foundation of what we believe, and we're going to talk about how that works itself out. So I'm going to be preaching through our statement of faith and practice. So probably around the first of the year, I'm going to try to make sure that all of you, if you don't already have it, it's on our website, but if you don't already have it, have a statement of faith and practice, just like I handed out these things that you can look at, um, and say, these are the things, certainly if you're a member at a church here, these are the things that you said, I agree that this is what it looks like to live life together as a body of Christ. And I'm going to just take some time, do much like I'm doing with this, kind of just walk through the articles and say, here's why we have these things in and say that they're important. So anyway, enough introduction. The kingdom. Now, you, there's going to be a lot of parallel today, by the way, between today and last week. Last week, the subject was the church. And there's a bit of a parallel because, uh, between the kingdom and the church, but they are actually different. There's, there's a distinction I want to make. And, and partly what I want to say is that the church uh, fits inside of the kingdom, if I could put it that way. In other words, the church, it certainly ought to be, that the true church is part of God's kingdom. But it's not the entirety of God's kingdom. God's kingdom is bigger than just the church. Uh, there are some things that run along, sort of, you'll see a lot of things today that sort of run on a parallel track to what we talked about, but there's a few other points that have to be made about the kingdom that we didn't make about the church for, for very specific reasons, but that we're going to make today about the kingdom. But let's just jump in, because here's, uh, here's what I want to read out of here, and again, if you have this with you or you've been reading it, uh, this, is, uh, this is sort of the, 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 the church language of what we say we believe. The kingdom of God is the realm where God reigns. It's the realm where God reigns. It is a present reality and is visible on earth, especially in the church. There again, you pick up the theme right away that there's, a, there's this, this parallel between the church and the kingdom, but there's something else going on too. It is a present reality visible on earth, especially in the church, giving believers release from the power and penalty of sin. 
The kingdom is extended on earth by evangelization and is expressed in gospel preaching, compassionate ministries, peacemaking based on the reconciliation to God through faith in Christ and in supernatural demonstrations of God's power. As participants in the kingdom, God's people follow Christ in the way of love, peace, and non-resistance in relating to all people, including personal and national enemies. The final fulfillment, and this last sentence is very important, the final fulfillment of the kingdom is awaited. That stands in contrast, by the way, the very second line I read said that it's a present reality. The kingdom is a present reality. The final fulfillment, the last sentence says, is, a, is the kingdom is awaited. When God's people will be free from the presence of sin and the kingdom of Satan will be judged and doomed to everlasting destruction. All right. So our job today is, in the next uh, 25 minutes or so, uh, you guys know that's a joke, right? <laughs> yeah, I'll do my best. In the next little bit here, the, the job is to take those uh, words that we just read and to break them apart into chunks that can actually teach us and help us to say, is this really what I believe or is this not what I believe? Now, I'm going to do the same thing I've done the last couple of weeks. I want to just read an, sort, of a, a sort of an overarching text that I think fits most of the message through and pull thoughts about, uh, from that text as well as some other texts we go through. And you, it may be a, a kind of a weird one for you that today that you think, really, you're choosing this one when you talk about the kingdom of God, but I'll explain why I chose this one. Remember the scene where Jesus is asking his disciples, and those quizzers that are here with us today, they're going to know about this because it's already came in the book of Mark. The scene where Jesus is asking the disciples, who do people say that I am? And if you're a quizzer, by the way, you're going to know the answer, right? People are going to say what? That people say that you may be... John the Baptist, Elijah, or one of the prophets, right? We've got all these people over here so eager to say. Where are the rest of the quizzes over here? Where are you guys at? Anyway, they said, well, some people say you're John the Baptist. Some say Elijah or Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And then he turns to them and he says, but who do you say that I am? Very critical piece, very critical piece. We've got more that want to say this, but I'm going to read the text now. I'm actually going to read from Matthew today. I know I, I, I'm talking to the question about, about Mark, but I'm going to read out of Matthew. Matthew 16, 16 through 19 is what I'm going to read. So you can open your Bibles there if you want. Jesus has just asked in verse 15, but who do you say that I am? And it says that Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, which means Simon, the son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Verse 19 says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now, just right away, I want to just kind of make the point I already made. I said the church is part of the kingdom. Right in those verses, we immediately see that Jesus himself makes that distinction. He says, on this rock, on the confession you've made, I'm going to build the church. But then he starts talking about the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and he's helping them to see that the kingdom is broader than just the church. It's, it's, it's more expansive. It's more comprehensive than just the church. If you go back to the line that's up here, this tells us why that's true. The kingdom of God is wherever God reigns. Does God reign in the church? I sure hope so. I sure hope so. Is that the only place God reigns? Clearly not. In fact, one of the first places you probably think of is where? Where's one of the first places you think of where God reigns? In heaven, right? 
Certainly. So we know we're not in heaven yet, right? So we know that the kingdom is bigger than just the church. The church is part of it, but there's a broader, uh, there's a broader role here. And I'm going to use these verses here because Jesus asked an important question. But before I, I, I kind of go on, I want to make sure we understand. Last, last week we talked about the church, and a couple of weeks ago when we talked about salvation, there's a key thing that kind of kept surfacing up. We actually touched on it way in the beginning, well, towards the beginning, we talked about man. Because God created man, and man was good, but something happened, right? Man fell away from God. Man sinned. Humans sinned. People sinned. And we did that because God had given us a choice, right? Remember that? We talked about the fact that we believe that when God created man, he gave us a choice. From there on through, this thread keeps popping up. When we talk about salvation, we have to, we can't ignore the fact that God gave us a choice, meaning we can choose salvation or not. When we talk about the church, and I don't know how clear I made it, but when we talk about the church, entrance into the church to being a called out group of people that are based, that are existing to glorify God and to minister to others out of what we've ministered, that's a voluntary choice, right? You can choose to be in the church or you can choose not to be. Because God gave us choice. Today is the same language. The kingdom of God is the realm wherever God reigns. And you can choose whether you will be. It's the voluntary confession that brings you into the kingdom or doesn't. Let's just dig into this. Because the first thing I want to say about the kingdom is this right here. The kingdom is about power. Now this makes sense, right? Look at the language we're using. If I were to point you to an earthly kingdom. So just for... For, it gets a little muddy with modern countries, especially when we have democracy and things like that. But just for, for the sake of imagination, think like more medieval and think kingdom. The kingdom is all about power, right? Wherever the king rules is his kingdom. That's where it starts and stops, right? The moment it's outside of his rule, it's no longer his kingdom, right? We can understand that. In a physical reality, we can understand that. Wherever the king has rule... It's his kingdom. Wherever he doesn't, it's not his kingdom. And as we talk about the kingdom of God, we have to recognize that it's about power. It's about power and reign and authority and all of those things. Look at what Jesus asked them. Who do you say I am? And he, he, he loves what Peter says. This is, by the way, is a statement of power. You are the Christ. Now, that's a very specific term for Jews. You are the Messiah. You are the one to whom all power and authority is given. You are the son of the living God. Now, that phrase, by the way, the living God, is the highest, the, excuse me, the highest affirmation or the highest, like, statement that you can make. Because you can believe in gods or you can believe in the living God. Not dead gods, not helpless gods. Not regional gods, not God here, but not God here, or God over here, but not over here, but the living God. Again, we saw that if you were in Sunday school this morning, we saw that in our Sunday school lesson. Darius, he says it by way of confession. Oh, Daniel, you who serve the living God, was your God able to save you in that den all night with the lions? Peter said, I believe you're the Christ, you're the Messiah, you're the Son of the living God. It's that voluntary confession. Now, a few other things took place, right, when he, as he does that. A few other things are happening. This is about power. So what Peter is saying, listen carefully, what Peter is saying is he's looking at Jesus and he's saying, I believe you are the Son of the most powerful, 
being that exists. And in fact, by that extension, you are the most powerful being that exists. I recognize the power that you have, the authority that you have, the kingdom that you are part of. And when Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, he's saying, that's the right answer. You have nailed it. That's the distinction. That's why I'm not just like Elijah or not just like like Jeremiah or not just like John the Baptist come back to life. I'm different than all those prophets. There's something distinct. There's a power. All those were given some kind of power, but there's a power that you recognize in me that's different than all of those. That's the distinction that Peter made, and that's the distinction that Jesus said was correct. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. As we're digging in this idea of a kingdom, I want to make sure we understand that Peter is, I don't know that Peter really knows what he's doing, but as we look at Peter and what's happening here, we can look back at everything we read in the New Testament and recognize that Peter is beginning to switch his allegiance. And that's a word I used a couple of weeks ago with salvation too. And I, I, I use it intentionally. As we're going to talk about the kingdom and about power, Peter is beginning to switch his allegiance. Now, we know this is actually not quite done yet, right? Because we have this, this thing about the, 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 uh, the denying Jesus and the restoration. But he's beginning to switch his allegiance. If we're going to stay with sort of the physical example, he's beginning to change his citizenship. Think about that word. If we're in a kingdom, if we're part of a nation, we are citizens of that nation. And he's saying, I think I'm realizing I need to change my citizenship. If you think about the confession of faith, think about what we talked about last week at the church. You are now a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of God's possession, right? It's a change in citizenship that we are talking about here, a change of power. And this kingdom we're talking about, I've been using the example of physical kingdom, but it's not a physical kingdom, is it? Jesus made that very clear when he stood before Pilate. Remember these words? He stood before Pilate, and Pilate was questioning him just before he went to the cross, and Jesus says these words. My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then you would have seen my servants fight, that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But the reality is, this is a bit, I'm adding a bit of my paraphrase, not reading it directly, but the reality is my kingdom is not of this world. This is really important, by the way. This is a line that we get mixed up all the time. The kingdom is about power, and Jesus made it clear that his kingdom is not from this world. Not about, he's not about establishing some kind of political line. That's why last week when I said we're a holy nation, I said there's a, there's a citizenship that, that surpasses all other races, all other bloodlines, all other political affiliations. Because Jesus said there's a kingdom that's not of this world. That's my kingdom. That's the kingdom I'm with. That confession brought about these, answering these questions about which kingdom I'm part of. By the way, I would tell you, questions you need to answer. Which kingdom are you part of? If I could boil that down, I think I can boil it down to two questions about power. I'll just, I'll just list them to you. The first question that is answered about which kingdom we're in is, who has power over me? Notice I'm going to use those words very specifically. Power. The kingdom is about power. Who has power over me? Who gets to tell me what to do? The second question is, from where do I receive my power? 
And that's an equally important question. We sometimes forget that, by the way. Think about it this way. Again, going to the physical example. If you are part of an earthly kingdom with a king over you, that king has power over you, right? That king gets to dictate what happens to you and what you do and how you behave. That's how a kingdom works. We'd like to pretend it's not true, but that's how a kingdom works. But I would also tell you, you have no right to act on behalf of that kingdom except for the power that is granted to you by the king. Like think of an ambassador. Like he goes speaking for the king, but he is only granted power that's given to him by the king. He has only received that power that comes from there. It's not his own power. He doesn't get to go to other nations and say, hey, this is what you should do. It's only based on the fact that that person back there, my king. That's what I'm trying to tell you. When we are in God's kingdom, we're answering those questions. Who has power over me? And from where do I receive my power? The ability I have, if I have any ability at all to influence people, to change things, to speak into situations, where does that power come from? Is it mine? Is it based on my authority? According to what we say we believe about the kingdom, it's not at all. That power comes from the king. We are only ambassadors. Again, actually, I read those exact lines last week when I read from 2 Corinthians that we are God's ambassadors making his appeal on behalf of him. If I can just read these lines, they're so pertinent to this. Second Timothy, Paul wrote to Timothy, he said, by the way, I can give you a visual example. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. When you think of a soldier, those questions are answered for him, aren't they? Who has power over me and from where do I get my power? Any authority any soldier has at all is not derived on him. It's derived on the authority that's behind him the power that's over him. Those are the questions. Maybe I'm spending too much time with this, but I want to make sure we understand as we talk about the kingdom, even as, remember I said the church is inside the kingdom. Even as a church, as a whole, not just individually, as a whole, the power we have is not because of us. We must answer that same question. Are we in the kingdom? If so, who has power over me? And from what, where do we get that power as a church? as leaders of a church, as people inside the church. Well, let me keep going because we're gonna quickly recognize that things are a little different than we thought. The kingdom of God is, as I might call it, upside down. Now, I wanna make something clear right up front, okay? Because I think it's really important that we think right about things. I put upside down up there and I put it in quotes. I want you to realize we call it upside down because it's different from what the world, how the world uses power, how the world sees authority, how the world does all those things. But I wanna make sure you and I understand, it's the world that's upside down actually. God's way of doing things is the right way. That's right side up. I, I'm gonna to refer to it as upside down, but I hope you understand what I mean by, when I say that. I've, it's God's way that's right. We are upside down. The world is upside down. But for the sake of us understanding it, we say God's kingdom is upside down. Make no mistake, God's kingdom is not upside down. And that makes it sound like it's the wrong way. It got turned the wrong way. That's not true. God's way is the right way. But we call it upside down. We wield power differently in the world and authority differently in the world than what God's kingdom does. Notice the line that Jesus says when Peter makes his confession. You are the Christ. You're the son of the living God. Jesus said, Peter, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. By that statement, he's saying, That's not how the world thinks. It's different from the world. Now, again, you'll see the parallel. Who is the church? The church is a people called out of the world because it's different. 
because we have to understand that the authority and the power and all these things we're going to talk about are different from what the, the way the world does. The world tends to operate power in power from a top-down approach. I have the authority. I'll make everyone else do what I tell them to. Does God actually, actually does God operate like that? Think about the things we've already studied so far from our study of theology. Does God operate like that? I have the power. I'm going to make all of you do what I tell you to do. Is that how God uses his authority, his power? No, because otherwise you wouldn't have a choice. Otherwise, every one of us would follow Jesus perfectly faithfully because we wouldn't have a choice because God's power is absolute, right? I mean, do you think if God said you're going to do this, you'd say, no, I'm not going to? No. He gave us a choice, which means by necessity, God does not operate from a top-down approach like that. Now, God puts his power to display in many ways, right? And we see it because he wants us to know who he is and how powerful he really is. As Zach so wonderfully shared for us last week, he finished this verse from Mark. We see it in how Jesus himself came. Did Jesus operate from a top-down approach? Did he use his power and authority that was his to say, I'm going to make all of you understand what I mean and follow me because this is the right way? Actually, according to what Zach quoted for us last week, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but he came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. We would say upside down, right? He's the king of the universe. He spoke everything into existence. And he came and said, I won't demand being served. I won't demand having my way. I won't demand that all of you fall down before me. He said, I will come and serve you and give my life as a ransom for you. Said no king ever in the rest of the history of the earth. Right? The power in the kingdom of God is wielded differently, opposite, upside down from what we would see. I'm going to just lead us through this real quickly. I'm going to let you guys read because I've been loving that as we do this through the series. Let you guys read some. You guys see my, my references there in the handle if you want to. Uh, but I want to point out how every step of the way. So our entrance into the kingdom is what would be upside down from our perspective. So someone read, remember when Nicodemus came to see John, or came to see Jesus uh, late in the night one night, and he wanted to talk with him. Nicodemus, of course, being a Jewish leader, he came to Jesus late one night. This is in John chapter three, verses three through six. If I can have somebody uh, just read those verses out loud for us. John three, three through six. This is what Jesus, a little bit of his conversation, not the whole thing, but a little bit of his conversation that Jesus had with Nicodemus about coming into the kingdom. John three, three through six. Somebody go. Don't be shy. Thank you, Les. Can you just imagine Nicodemus' head-scratching consternation? Jesus, how do I get in the kingdom? And Jesus says, you have to be born again. And he's thinking, how can that be true? How can he be born again? Like, I'm a grown adult. That's a baby. Like, it's a, I don't get this. Can you imagine how upside down it felt to him? And Jesus kept saying, 
You gotta, you gotta listen. Unless you become born again, unless, unless you go back. Is it any wonder, by the way, that Jesus came as a baby? In light of what he says in those, is it any wonder that Jesus came as a baby? God could have brought him down just as an adult, I suppose, and there he was. But he didn't. He came as a vulnerable, from the beginning, start little baby. And he's modeling for us the entrance into the kingdom of God, which is a, the place where, I mean, God's power is, is, is greater than any other power you know. But entrance into that kingdom comes opposite of how we might think. He said, you must be born again. Unless you're born of the blood and the water, you can't be born again. You have, that, it's, not just, it's not just from the flesh. There's something else that has to go on. Spirit. Spirit gives life to spirit. All those things. And we see they're different than what we expected. Our entrance into the kingdom is different. Think of Jesus bringing little children among them and saying, unless you become like these, you can't come in the kingdom. Whoa, wait a minute. Children are the least powerful people. They display the least amount of knowledge and ability and sometimes they're the most naughty, right? What? He's demonstrating that entrance into the kingdom is not like we think. It's not that when you have it all figured out and now I, can, I, I have the power to bring myself in this kingdom. It's not like that at all. You must make yourself the most vulnerable. Think of what repentance is. You must make yourself the most vulnerable, the most helpless, the most without a clue at all, like the least likely to get in. Kids, like the least likely to get in. And now you're at the doorstep ready to get in the kingdom. Because it's at that moment when you realize that I truly am the least likely to get in that you're ready to hear the good news that Jesus paid it for you. Please come. Right? You cannot walk to the door of the kingdom and say, look at what I've done and I'm going to just walk right in here. It comes on your knees. It comes on your face before God recognizing what a wretched person I am and that I have no hope and I am the least likely to be granted access into this. And that's the moment that the Holy Spirit says, my child, Jesus is ready to receive you. Entrance in the kingdom is upside down. But I would tell you, not, as, not only is entrance in the kingdom upside down, but your behavior once you're in the kingdom is also upside down. Now here's a longer section, so I think I'm going to break it up. Look at Matthew chapter 5. Verses we know so well. Verses I would say sometimes we wish we could ignore. I, just, I picked out some ones that I, I think we, we probably wish we could ignore. As we think about how the world uses power and how we like to use power in our own flesh, these speak against that. Matthew chapter 5, maybe have one person read 38 to 42 and someone else 43 to 48. 38 to 42, the first section there from Matthew chapter 5, and then 43 to 48, the second section. They both are hooked together. Someone read. Irvin, thank you. Don't turn away. How about the next one? Pick up right where we left off, 43 to 48. Someone want to read those verses? Do not even 
Whew. By the way, when Jesus begins both of those, and that's not the only thing he says, I mean, that whole section, he begins over and over with, you have heard it said, but I say it to you. Right there, he's telling you, what I'm about to tell you is opposite of what you think, is backwards, is upside down of what you have been just ingrained in you because your flesh is what your flesh wants. He's telling right up front. There could be no clearer example in Scripture, I think, that Jesus is making clear that his kingdom and the power that's in his kingdom is upside down. Look at how that's backwards. When someone hits you, what do you want to do? Turn the cheek the other way? You want to hit them back because they deserve it, right? You can't treat me like that. Right? We want to defend ourselves. You have heard it said, love your friends but hate your enemies. That's what the world does. But God's kingdom is opposite, is upside down. He says, no, 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 no. Yeah, love your friends, love your enemies too. Do good to them that persecute, that hate you. Does that make sense to us? Not at all. Is that what we want to do? Not at all. Is it part of how God's kingdom operates? Absolutely. These are not words that I'm any more big fan of hearing than you are. When someone does something to me, I'm not any better than you are at saying, oh yeah, go ahead, try to get the other side, get to you. Right? But God's kingdom is about power, and he wields that power completely differently than our flesh wants to, than the world does. It's upside down. Again, I say it, Jesus, that's exactly what Jesus did when he came, and how can we expect it to be any different for us? And I would, I'd say, okay, so answers in the kingdom is up to down, behavior in the kingdom is up to down, extending the kingdom, making that kingdom grow, even that by itself is not how we'd expect. Listen to this, Jesus painted the scene, end of time, he's on his throne, all these people come before him, Matthew t- chapter 25, someone read verse 34, just one verse we're going to read, but I'm going to uh, make sure that that just sets the stage, Matthew 25 verse 34, someone read it for us. Ah, look at that. Listen to those words. He's telling his followers, he said, the day is coming, I'm going to sit on my throne, and I'm going to gather them, and he's going to tell those who are in his kingdom, come, come into the kingdom. I've prepared it for you. And we think, yes, I want to hear those words. But what was the thing that brought them in the kingdom? Read the rest. Do you know what the rest of the story is about? What was the... What was what brought them in the kingdom? They operated in power, right? They went out and they preached powerful sermons and they brought all these people in and said, you need to know that you need to be right with, and all those things, right? Now, I'm not saying those things are bad, by the way. But what did Jesus say? Whatever you did for the least of these, you fed me when I was hungry, you clothed me when I was naked, you visited me when I was sick, when I was in prison, you came to see me. Whatever you did for the least of these, that's what you did for me. Backwards. We want to ignore those people. I mean, look at them. They're, they're good for nothing. They've made those choices and they're kicked to the side and they have nothing to offer to me. And why should I pay any attention to them? Not only does that make the, continue to make the point that the behavior in the kingdom is different, but the extending the kingdom is different. Remember the line I ended with last week, the point I ended with last week? That the church ministers out of what itself has received. Here we have exhibit B, probably, because I probably shared one last week, but here we have exhibit B. It's the mercy that we have so f- richly and freely received that's the backwards way that God uses to expand his kingdom. 
This is why we say things like the Crusades, if you know your history, were not right. Is that how God brought us in the kingdom? He held the sword over our heads and said, you must believe and come follow me or else you're going to lose your life. Is that how he made you become a follower? It's not how he made me become a follower. He did break me. But it wasn't by physical force. It wasn't by force. He broke me by making me realize how awful my pride was. How full of myself I was. How meek and lowly and humble Jesus Christ was. The king of the universe. The one who bled and died for me. Was so humble and lowly. And I was so full of myself. Backwards. Backwards. From how we would use our earthly kingdoms. One final point I want to quickly make as we wrap up here yet. Is that the kingdom is now but not yet. This is something I introduced later or earlier. I think it was when we talked about salvation. But we see this principle so clearly here. When Jesus came, they said the kingdom is at hand. And Jesus spent lots of time telling us how to come into that kingdom and enter that kingdom. But we're not home yet, are we? Look at even the words that Jesus, I'm going to stay with Matthew 16. I've been trying to bring this every time. Look at the words he said. He said, I'm going to give you the keys to heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And most of us who want to operate not in the upside down power of God's kingdom, but in the worldly power, look at that verse and that line and say, yes, that means I can say anything I want. And it's going to be like that right here. But let me ask you, are you in control of other people's actions? Can you dictate what other people do? Can you just say it and that's, that's just what, how it's going to be? I think we all know the reality, right? Because there's not a single one of us that have a child that's walking away from Christ right now. Right? There's not a single one of us that have a family member that's not following Christ right now. If we could just say it, if we could just command it, if we could just say, I, you belong to Jesus and you have no choice. We would all do it, wouldn't we? I would do it. I want every one of my children to be in heaven with me. I can't. Clearly we have to see, though we believe that God's power is unstoppable, if we also believe that God has given us a choice while we're here on this earth, we also must recognize by necessity that God has voluntarily limited his power to some degree so that we can choose. Which means when we look at a statement like this, we must recognize that God's kingdom is now, but not yet. The finality of it is not yet. You know, Jesus told the story. This is a very interesting parable, he said. I'm going to read it to you. It's from Matthew chapter 13. If you want to turn there, you can. Just a few pages for me in my Bible, a few pages before where I was at reading a little bit ago. Matthew chapter 13, verse 24. Jesus says, it says this. He says, he put, an, it put, an, he put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. This is, he talking about the kingdom. He sowed good seed in his field, but while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? 
he said to them, an enemy has done this. So, servant said, so the servant said to him, then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, no, lest in gathering the weeds, you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at the harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. He's saying, I'm giving you a picture of the kingdom. He has sown his seeds. The good seed is growing. But there's an enemy who came and sowed weeds among it. And when they recognized that there was weeds among the good, and they were asked, should we go tear those weeds out? He said, no, you let them grow together. At the end, we'll make a distinction. At the end, we'll gather the harvest. And at the end, we'll take the weeds and burn them, and we'll take the good fruit and put them in my barn. Brothers and sisters, this is a picture of us. God sowing good seed. Next time we pick up this study, we're going to talk about Satan. He's the enemy who sows the weeds. And God has said, my kingdom is there now. But it's not there entirely, is it? Because there's still weeds. If we think for a second, I should make this sure, make sure we make this clear. If we think for a second that in God's kingdom, the fullness of God's kingdom, there will be any weeds at all, we are fully mistaken. Which means it's now, but not yet. It's here, but not fully. The power to be free from sin, the power to walk obedient to him is here now in God's kingdom. He's given it to us. It's upside down. We don't commandeer it. We empty ourselves before God and say, fill me with your spirit. It's the only chance I have. And the day is coming when the not yet will be fulfilled. As probably with almost any preacher I know, some of the most exciting verses to read. I'm going to read here to close to show you the not yet part that is coming. We go to the very end of the book, the very end of the Bible. Revelation chapter 21, verse 1. And then I saw, John said, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice saying, sorry, a loud voice from the throne saying, And here's what he says. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with men. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be there with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more, which means sin can be no more. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. God's kingdom is here now. It's about power We're going to talk about that battle as we talk about Satan. It's about power. There's a struggle going on. But it's here now, and it operates in ups and down ways, but it's not yet. These words, my friend, at the end of the book is the not yet that we are waiting for. The day when God says, it is finished. It's done. Now, my dwelling place is with you, and you will be my people. There will be no more death, no more pain, no more sorrow, no more crying, For the old order of things has been washed away, wiped away. I can't wait for that day. I can't wait for that day. But you know, everything I've said in the last several messages of the theme, this thread has continued to pop up. 
if you want to prepare for that day, it's a choice you have to make to enter into the kingdom. God, thank you for your word this morning. There's undoubtedly much more than could have been said and could be broken down. There's undoubtedly some things I said that were not quite right. I want to submit to you. I want to ask you in the clearest way possible, God, to correct those things, whether it just be struck from memory or whether it needs to be corrected by my mouth. I want to do that. I want to be faithful to your word, to what you have taught us. I want to be faithful to you. Jesus, you are the king. You are Lord of lords and king of kings. God has put everything under your feet, everything except him himself. He has put everything under your feet. And we know that we're in this holding place, this place where he wants to display that power in us. And it comes in ways we don't expect. And he works through us in ways we don't expect. He displays that power through us in ways that we think is the opposite of what it should be. But we know the day is coming for your word says that the last enemy to be put under his feet is death itself. Where, then it will be true that the saying is true. Where, O oh death, is your sting? Where, grave, is your victory? It is swallowed up by Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus, for the marvelous victory that you have won and will accomplish someday. We look forward to that day. We want you to come, but we recognize we have much to do. We, we, we want to agree with the old song. We will work until Jesus comes. We won't sit back. We won't enjoy cushy life. We will work until Jesus comes. We will be in the kingdom. We will recognize the power that is in the kingdom and where we receive our power from, and we will operate in that power. And we will do so to honor and glorify you that others may know the glorious truth of Jesus Christ. God, we thank you. Have your way with us. Help us to surrender to the upside-downness of your kingdom. Help us to be visible representations of the upside-downness of your kingdom. Help our hearts to be content and trust in you, though things seem very, very upside-down, that we might be right with you. Thank you for Jesus, for the grace that comes for the Holy Spirit. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I did not take time to say this. My time has run out. I would invite you to spend your own time thinking about the realization that many, 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 I wouldn't say all perhaps, but many of the heresies that come into the church are based on improper understandings of the power of the kingdom, the upside-downness of the kingdom, and the now-not-yet part of the kingdom. On both sides. When we sit feeling powerless and thinking we have to just roll around in the mud and hope that someday it'll get better, we're not understanding the now part of God's kingdom. But when we think that we are impervious to the effects of sin or above them or that we can just command things as God does and have them be done or no longer see anything, we can just, we have enough faith to say none of the effects of sin are possible anymore in me, then we have misunderstood the not yet part of the kingdom. Many of the heresies that find their way in the church come from an improper understanding of God's kingdom. I humbly tell you, 
I do not think I have it all figured out myself. But I want to do everything I can to teach you what I think God's word says. And ask and rely upon the Holy Spirit to make it clear to us. Why don't you stand? Because it feels, it just, it feels appropriate to me this morning, given some of the sharing we had, especially what Aaron had to say, what we talked about last Sunday night, and even just today with the kingdom and the power, I just want to again invite you as I give you the benediction that you would just receive the power of the Holy Spirit to be uh, an available witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ, wherever God opens the door. So God, fill us with your spirit. We don't want to say no to any opportunity. We know that you'll give us those opportunities to open those doors. It's not our job to save them. It's not our job to respond for them. It is our job to testify to what you have done in our hearts, in our lives, and what the gospel really is. Make us effective in that work. In Jesus' name, amen. Go in peace today. Thank you for your patience and being with us.